Then if you cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who generally cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. Next one. Next slide. Yeah, but you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send it to you just as soon as I find out what's going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Next slide. Now Epaphroditus. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. What's thought is Epaphroditus was from Philippi. It's thought that it's pretty well concluded that he was the one who brought some kind of gift to Paul, probably a financial gift, because when they were in prison, all their food and everything had to come from outside help. So what thought was, Epaphroditus was part of their congregation, and he's finally sending him back. So I'm going to send Epaphroditus back to you. He's a true brother, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier. He was your messenger to help me in my need. I'm sending him because he's been longing to see you, he was very distressed that he heard he was ill. So the assumption is somehow Epaphroditus either was sick on the way to go visit Paul or got sick, whether they're going to be deathly sick. And he certainly was, was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. All right, last slide. So I'm all the more anxious to send it back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him. Then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Alright, back to the original question. Next slide. What might God be asking you to do to become more like Timothy and Epaphroditus? Timothy, if you notice in the passage, one of the things Paul said and I just noticed on my notes the question mark is a typo that should be on there. Timothy generally is concerned about the welfare of the other people. And even remember that Paul said there's nobody else like him. So Timothy is very, Paul said he stands above others in being other-centered. Now, what's interesting about this too, he also said Timothy is concerned about what concerns Jesus. Because sometimes I can say, well, Think about your relationships, think about your marriage, your relationship with friends, or mom and dad, son, daughter, brother, sister, whatever. Sometimes there are ways where you think, you know, you take care of yourself first. Nobody knows that, but you're also, you're kind of thinking about how to make sure you're cared for. Then you take care of others. Other times, we can seemingly be very other-centered. And here I'll challenge all Sometimes we're other-centered out of real selfish motives. In other words, I'm going to serve this other person, and I hope to get something back from that. We never say that. We never acknowledge that. But what was interesting, what he says about Timothy, is Timothy is concerned about the concerns of Jesus. So to some degree, the question is not, how do I take care of my needs, or how do I take care of others' needs? The question is, Jesus, what do you want me to do for my wife? Jesus, what do I need to be doing for my son, my daughter, my friend, my enemy, my husband, my mom, my dad? The question is, like you said of Timothy, there is no one else like Timothy who generally concerns for you, is concerned for you, and he can, he's concerned with what matters to Jesus. So it seems like Timothy's motive in his relationships was, I'm going to do 
for them whatever matters to Jesus most for them. So I'm going to be in conversation with Jesus about what I need to be doing for this person or that person, my wife, my son, my daughter, the person who I don't like at work, the person in my dorm I don't like, the person in my family I don't like. I'm going to do whatever Jesus has asked me to do, because what he wants me to do is what I do. So, again, the question is, is there some way, is there some relationship right now where Jesus may be asking you to become more like Timothy and being generally concerned about the other needs of the others from what maybe Jesus may be telling you to do? And maybe it's something that is hard for you to think about their needs first because you think they're selfish. I don't know what you might think of those groups of people. But is there some way in which Jesus may be challenging you in a relationship of putting their needs before you? Remember what Paul said earlier in the, in the chapter? He said, have the same mind of Jesus and consider the needs of others before your own. So now Paul's really giving a real life example. Timothy, he's saying, Timothy, he doesn't. He generally puts the interest of others above himself. So there's some way, some relationship when you feel like Jesus is asking you to do that. Now, Epaphroditus, he risked his life for Jesus, for, for Paul. We don't know what happened. We don't know if he was sick. He got hurt. We don't know. But is there some risk that God may be asking you to take? For the sake of another. And I don't necessarily mean um, a physical risk, but often maybe some kind of emotional risk, spiritual, financial risk on behalf of somebody else. Again, for the well being of the other, based on what matters to Jesus. Because both of these men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who were incredible encouragements to Paul, seem to be kind of in Paul's all star team of these people think about the the needs and the interests of others according to how Jesus would direct them, and they'll take those risks accordingly. So is there some risk, relational risk, that you think God may be asking you to take? Is there something he's been nudging you about, a risk he's asking you to take, that may be costly to you, but it may serve the well-being of another? Is there somebody, is there something like that? Because again, Paul, before this, is all these big theological phrases about this is what Jesus did, he's for others. But now he's kind of breaking it down to real life. Here's the kind of people you need to aspire to be like. Here are the kind of people that should be your heroes. Because they live with others in mind, without selfishness, and they're willing to take risks if that's what Jesus asked them to do. So that's question number one. Is there some way that God may be challenging you even now, or he might be challenging you, or he will challenge you, um, to become this other-centered follower of Jesus who's taking risks on behalf of others, right? That's the first question. The second question is this, and we're going to reread the passage. In relation to Paul's physical and emotional realities, because Paul's a real person, just like we all are, how is God challenging your definition of joy? Because if this book is about joy, and Paul seems to be talking about it all the time, but yet he's, he's in prison, which, not a place of joy. If you want to think external circumstances have anything to do with your joy, it seems like Paul's blowing that up already, just by the fact that he's writing about this in prison. And he's not being fakey. It's not like Paul's, it's not like Paul's really in an awful situation, but he wants to be positive and write about joy. Because sometimes in the Christian world, we can kind of, we can kind of pretend, oh, we need to be happy, be happy in the Lord. It's like, well... Real life still can be awful. But 
some way in which your understanding of joy needs to be challenged uh, by Paul's reality. So now let's read the passage again. Now I want you to look at some, this was interesting, because some of the commentators are really the ones that pointed this out. I want, you to, I want you to notice even the emotional realities of Paul's life here. Physical reality, he's in jail. He's in prison. Rats, darkness, cold. Roman prisons were often built in the ground in rock. Cold, rats, dirty, dingy, limited food. All right, so that's our, we already know, horrible situation externally, but he's talking a lot about joy. Now let's read this again, looking at Paul's emotional realities, all right? The Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Tim to you soon for a visit, and he can cheer me up. Maybe Paul needed to be cheered up. Maybe Paul had some times where he felt down emotionally. Maybe he was even discouraged at times. That's okay. That doesn't mean you can't have a joyful spirit. It doesn't mean you have to pretend to faith, but he needed to be cheered up. I have no one else like Timothy who generally cares about your welfare, or others care only for themselves and not for matters of Jesus Christ. Next slide. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son of his father. He has served with me and preached the good news. So obviously the real warmth he has for Timothy, a real love, a real, a real partnership bond. Hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what's going on to happen to me here. And I have confidence in the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Now let's go to Epaphrodites and what was going on here. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphrodites back to you. True brother, co-worker, fellow soldier. So again, a real strong bond that he has with someone else in ministry. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. I'm sending him because he's been longing to see you. He was very distressed. So he's being honest about Epaphrodites. He was longing, he was distressed, he heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me that I would not have one sorrow after another. Now, stay on this slide here. Okay, Paul talks a lot about joy, but now he's saying, I'm just glad God saved me from one more sorrow. Because if a past Friday would have died, that would have been one more sorrow on another, on another, on another. <coughs> Now, is Paul depressed? Well, I don't, he's not depressed necessarily, but he's honest about sorrow, about sadness. And he's saying, he's being a real person here, but it's not that sorrow and sadness or acknowledging that is in any way antithetical to understanding joy. And here's why I'm, I'm saying this. We tend to think, I know I do, that my joy in life will come when Things around me are all lined up right. God, if you can make this go this way, and that go this way, and this go that way, and this go that way, and this person do this, and this job opportunity do this, and this and We think if those things go well, then joy is the feeling that follows. But it seems like what Paul seems to be communicating, intentionally or unintentionally, is no, joy has nothing to do with my external circle. Remember, I can be joyful and sorrowful at the same time. And I would even say that joy, your ability to experience joy is only as deep as your ability to experience sorrow. So I think it comes from the same place in our souls. Um, one of the things that, uh, I can't remember who the writer was, some philosopher wrote this once, and they said, there's two things that pierce the human soul, joy and sorrow. So it seems like when we experience joy to high degrees, or what we think is joy to high and sorrow to low degrees, there's a pierce, there's something that gets the deepest part of us, and it tells me those two are significantly connected. 
So the sadness that Paul has in life, the disappointment he has, the discomfort he has, seem to be irrationally, abnormally, have not any effect on his level of joy. I read that and I think, I want to be like Paul. I want to have that kind of joy. So my, my point this morning is not to say, here's three easy principles to follow and you will have a joy-filled life. My point, my hope is for all of us, I want, I want to put in you a longing for that depth of joy in your heart and a willingness for God to take you wherever he needs to take you to get that kind of joy in your spirit. Because we think we know the pathway to joy, and that is we just want God to line up all the stars for us, and then we have joyful life. But God is more concerned about the depth of joy than the external expression of joy. So if nothing else, I want you to see Paul as a real person with real problems in real life, but with abnormal joy and because he talks about that's the very thing that he found his life in from Jesus, how do we become those kinds of people? Can you imagine what your life would be like if you could have joy? I don't mean get joy. It's not giddiness. It's not happiness. It's not kind of fakiness. I mean, sometimes when people are, are sad, they're told by other people, well, don't be sad. You should be happy. And sometimes, no, you shouldn't be happy. It's okay to be sad. That doesn't mean... You don't want to, there are actually certain kind of Eastern religions that will tell you, you know, just don't take in the sadness. Keep it away from you. And I want to say, that's not possible. That's not human. But there seems to be something about Paul, about his soul, that was shaped by the spirit of Jesus in him that seems to have an anchor, strength, joy, power, peace, that my guess is all of us feel somewhat elusive. So if nothing else, I want to ask you to be willing to let Jesus lead you down whatever path he's going to lead you down to that kind of joy. Because this is the joy Paul is talking about. This real, he's not talking about theological truths that you're supposed to assign your Yes, I believe this is true. He's talking about your actual soul in the deepest part of who you are that the promise of God is he will fill you with joy. He will fill you with that. But if you try, like I've tried and failed, if you try to, if, to, to try to give God the travel plan, God, this is how I think I will have joy in life. I want this situation to work out this way. I want this situation to work out this way and this to work out that way. And I don't want any of my family to get sick. You know, Adelaide can't get sick. I don't want any, no discomfort. And if I can eliminate discomfort, disease, disappointment, if I can eliminate those from my life, then I will have joy. Those are lies that we believe that lead us to a fake kind of joy and a false kind of Christianity. But Jesus, and I'm not saying God, I'm not saying, I'm not saying God wants you to be discouraged, diseased, and disappointed. I'm not saying that. I do know God uses those things to take out the idols we have for what we think will bring us joy. Because the joy he's talking about is way deeper, way more powerful, and way more desirable than any joy we've ever imagined. And don't ever settle for less than that. And don't ever let God stop working on you for those things. So that's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about that's where we don't want to go. Now go, go two more slides for the right, the red slide. Go to the next one. Uh, 
Christianity is not a religion of principles or morality or uh, being a good person, so to speak. It's a supernatural religion in which the kind of changes we desire come only through supernatural power. And Paul in Philippians talks about Jesus, and he talks about this passage earlier on in Philippians 2, that he was God, he didn't think of equality with God, so that he grasped. Instead, he emptied himself. He took the humble position of a slave. He was born as a human being. He's talking about the pathway to joy. And Paul's saying, this is, that Jesus has already shown us what this is. And Jesus is the one who has the power for us to be this way. He appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. And then the passage goes on. I don't have it on the slide. The passage goes on. He says, therefore, God exalted in the highest place. But it seems like the pathway to joy is has to be something you're willing and I'm willing to take my hands off the steering wheel and say, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go because I want that kind of joy. Um, and that's, uh, I'm going to challenge you to think, to pray, ask God, and be willing to let him go and you follow wherever he sends you. So let me pray. God, we, uh, will you deliver us, God, from the me first attitude? You deliver us from the mentality that I have to provide first before I have anything to offer anybody else. Will you deliver us from thinking that we know the best way to have the fullest kind of joy? Because we understand, Jesus, that you are the pioneer of joy. And the way you lay out for us is to follow you.